This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is the game plan sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Normally on a Thursday, we are doing this on a Wednesday night, 9 o'clock on the East Coast. We're about 9.04, fashionably four minutes after the top of the hour. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples joins me. This is Inside Carolina's famous game plan podcast, Notre Dame edition. Uh, Jason, since you were in here first, I'll I'll come to you. Uh, Carolina's coming off a bye week with a pretty big opponent coming into Kenya Stadium on Saturday. Does it matter at all for Carolina's purposes that Notre Dame might be perceived to be a little bit lesser of the normal Notre Dame team? I don't think perception matters, no. Um, What matters is that they might not be as good as a normal Notre Dame team. If that's that's actually the case, which so far the data this season and, and just watching them on the field suggests that, you know, they've taken a little bit of a step back, uh, then... Yeah, that matters, but I don't. I don't think the perception matters all that much because that's not going to determine what goes on on the field. Greg, as far as people looking at this game, um, you know, we've seen what Notre Dame has done this year. I think Max said it this week. Um, being a first-year head coach starting at Ohio State is not really ideal. Uh, that's what Notre Dame had to do. They come in, they lose to a Marshall team after that, and then they get a, a decent win against Cal. Um, the perception of Notre Dame, does that diminish this game in any way, in your opinion? No. I mean, at this point, you're just stockpiling wins, right? Um, we've we've touched on a lot of the reasons why Carolina has struggled and why they've excelled. We know the offense is really good, probably better than any of us thought it would be. Drake May is the real deal. Uh, the defense is worse than anybody thought it would be, and probably including Gene Chizik. But at the end of the day, North Carolina is 3-0. Uh, they have a chance to go 4-0 for the first time since 1997, which was the last year that Mac Brown was here in his first tenure in Chapel Hill. Uh, and So that's really all that matters, is that this is an opportunity against a Power 5 opponent with a big brand name to – extend your winning streak to four games and to head into ACC play with a lot of momentum. Um, Is this as good of a Notre Dame team as we've seen in recent years? Uh, No indication at this point in time. However, I think people need to understand uh, depending on what uh, metrics, what statistics you look at. I mean, Jeff Sagarin has Notre Dame with a top 10 strength of schedule thus far. And Carolina, I believe, is outside the top 125. Good so 
when you look at it from that perspective, yeah, Notre Dame uh, hasn't played as well as they had hoped. But how inflated is Carolina's numbers? And then when you consider the defensive play, like how bad is the defense? They really haven't played that many good offenses. Uh, so all those things kind of wrap into that. But at the end of the day, the goal is to get to 4-0. and And I think Carolina has a, has a really good opportunity to do that. Let's look at some of those numbers, Greg. You, I know you love the PFF um, stuff, Jason. You you pay attention to it as well. They came out and you did. I think you did the story this week. I don't even know what day it is. It's Wednesday, so you did the story. It's been either, a long week. <laughs> you did the story either uh, today or yesterday, Greg. What do those numbers tell us? Uh, um, and how do they adjust for that? Because I would think if I'm fiftieth in anything and I've played the tenth strongest st- schedule. Um, that's pretty solid. But if I'm sixth in anything and I've played the 130th schedule, I'm questioning it. Is that kind of what these numbers are telling us now? Or, or how do they adjust that all that stuff for opponents and all that? Well, here's the thing. With PFF, they don't really adjust by opponent. Um, they do after the fact. But when they sit down and, and look at game film, they're judging how each player performed on that particular play. Um, and then they, they put in the grades. And then after the fact, they'll go back and try to adjust as best they can by opponent. Uh, the true value is later in the season. And that goes the same. I mean, Bill Connolly tell you the exact same thing with S- S&P Plus because he has, at the beginning of the year, he's, he's banking in a lot of the data from last year and he's also banking in data on, on the recruiting classes. And so it really takes you probably half the season for his stuff to really become all that important and, tell, and for it to tell you a whole lot. That's why one of the things I like is Brian Fremo's uh, FEI, which is just a, you know, a matter of efficiency in terms of per possession scoring. Um, and, and Notre Dame's numbers are, are better there, and Carolina's numbers are kind of what you would expect, very good offensively, very bad defensively so I think the issue right now Tommy is we really don't know um, we only have four weeks of, of data for Carolina of course they've only played three games in those four weeks um, so we have a, an idea but until some of these other teams start playing more games and until Carolina gets into ACC play we're not going to have a firm handle like is this an elite offense is this a top 10 offense of which we have not seen is this offense as good as the 2020 offense with Javante Williams and Michael Carter? Uh, we don't know yet. Is this defense as bad as Vic Coney's defense in 2014? Ouch. Everybody hopes not. <laughs> but um, at it, this was, point it time, was that bad in the fourth quarter against App. Yeah. We know that, that for one quarter this year, it was that bad. Now, as to the whole year performance. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, if you go through and look at the first three games of that year, there's a lot of similarities. Um, and so we just don't know right now. And uh, we, we try to pick and pick and pull from all these different metrics. Uh, but you're really you, know, you can you can make it look however you want at this point in time. We just don't have enough uh, enough load of, of stats to tell us exactly what this team is. And, and that's why Saturday's game is important, because it really gives you an idea to see against a, a good opponent, maybe not great, but a good opponent, to see what this team's identity is, is starting to become. I think Saturday, you know, however you want to 
call Notre Dame and, and their production so far, Jason. I think this is Carolina's clearly their first matchup going against big boys. You know, App State was good and is good. Georgia State has some guys, but Notre Dame's got a lot of them, and they're <laughs> of like size and more talented, most likely, in most spots. Um, going into that, your thoughts on where Carolina is as this challenge comes up? Are they ready for it? Or is it, we just don't know? I'm having to fix my mic here. I'm sorry, there's a uh, bit of We don't have issue. quite the dulcet tones, but we can still hear you. <clears throat> well, I see what the problem was. There we go. Listen there. Yeah. It's like it's lovely. <laughs> is Carolina ready for this matchup? Has Carolina done enough in the first four weeks and done as much as they can to be ready to go up against the Notre Dame team? One and two, two and one, three and oh, oh and three doesn't matter. It's still gonna be a, a significant jump. Short answer is I don't know. I, I think there's do that here. I think there's I mean we can. We we have. I mean, that, part of our credibility as as analysts with Inside Carolina is that we we're honest. We call it like we see it, and when we think we know something, we say it. And when we you know think we think something, we say it. This is one where, I mean, I think we we have some sense of what this team is, but I think this game is going to be the game that's going to really tell us a lot about what and who this team is. Uh, I think the first three weeks, we we saw that this team, first of all, coming through 3-0, there, there are only a few teams in the country that are 3-0. and Banking those wins, like you said, Greg, banking those wins matters. <clears throat> but, again, the question is, okay, App did go down and down to, uh, to College Station to beat Texas A&M, but how good is that Texas A&M team? We don't know. How good is App really? I mean, they needed a Hail Mary to win last week against Troy, right? So there, there's the, – the thing we know is that Carolina has a top-level quarterback. That much we know. We know that Phil Longo's offense is one of those the-beat-goes-on offenses. At this point, you, you have to give a lot of credit to Longo for no matter who is under center, no matter who's at running back – you know, revolving door in all sorts of places, they find ways to be efficient through through seasons. That's been that's been pretty consistent. So we know those things. We also know that the defense has at times looked as bad as that 2014 defense. There have been other times where they've looked pretty okay. Uh, and then there's also you know some questions about Carolina has even with you know Sam Howell when they had their their strongest years uh, or their you know very strong years offensively. Look at what happened when they played Notre Dame. So, I mean, is that, are we going to see a similar kind of running into a, into a, a much stronger wall that you can't burst through as much, or are we going to see the offense run up and down the field against Notre Dame the way that they did the last time they played when they played in South Bend. Uh, but then again, the, the defense that uh, wasn't able to stop anybody, in that case. So I think there's just a lot of questions here in terms of, of, and and to, to, uh, to top that off, there's still some questions about personnel. I mean, 
you expect Josh Downs is going to play in this game. You expect that Caleb Hood is going to play in this game coming off a bye. You know, is Antoine Green going to play in this game? And if those three guys or two of those three guys play in this game, how healthy, how effective, how efficient are they going to be? I mean, there, I think there's a lot of questions about this North Carolina team coming into this game, and we're going to learn a lot based on what we see here. Tommy, I, I kind of equate it to basketball last year. Uh, because if you remember, Carolina played Loyola, Maryland, Brown, and College of Charleston the first three games. And those games were a lot closer than anybody thought. And so Carolina fans, being biased as, as all fan bases are, said, well, Loyola looked okay. And, and Brown, well, they maybe should compete in the Ivy League. And College of Charleston has a chance. Loyola, Maryland ended up with a losing record. Brown ended up with a losing record. Charleston ended up 17 and 15. So we just didn't have enough information in those first couple games to say, oh, is Carolina not any good? Or these other teams is a lot better than we thought. And that turned out to be neither of those. (laughs) Correct. Correct. Ended up being a lot later in the season for us to figure out exactly what the team was doing. It ended Um, up being those teams were bad, and this team is is pretty good, at least it developed into something pretty good. Exactly. And that's and so so two things there. Number one, it's too early, and I agree wholeheartedly with Jason, because this is a big time opponent, very much like Purdue was for Carolina last year in basketball. We have a wealth of quality information because we know Notre Dame at least has the talent, has good coaches, has the pedigree, so we can actually take a lot from what happens on Saturday. And then beyond that, with how the basketball team really got better really late in the year, but they got better as the course of the season went on, we want to start to see, okay, Gene Chizik had a, had a bye week. How much changes in terms of scheme, which I don't think any of us expect a lot to change, but how much changes in terms of communication and the guys doing a better job of what of doing what they're asked to do. And I think that that's an area that can really improve over the next couple of weeks. Um, and this again, Saturday is really the first step of all that to, to figure out exactly what this team is, what the track is and who they ultimately can become. Yeah, Mac talked about, uh, I think it was today. He said, there's no preseason in college football. Um, so we, you know, we had to see what we have on the field. Well, virtually they just had a three game preseason and the real season starts Saturday at three 30 in Kenan. Let me ask a couple questions and I don't usually get into the questions early, um, but I think it's relevant. And, and Jason, I'll do this one with you and Greg, I'm coming to you on the second one. And I'm going to see if I can mess up the graphics. Um, eh, you're on top of it. At least we got some shadowing going on. Any concern and Jason, this is for you. Any concern, the guys returning from injury will mess up the rhythm of the offense. And, of course, that's from our guy Slagle, the hardcore podcast <laughs> watcher and chatter. Uh, I have no concerns about that. None. Uh, I think when you add better players at wide receiver for a quarterback that's already distributing it just based on who's open – that just means you might have uh, guys get open a little easier and maybe do something a little more after the catch. So, uh, you know, if if you get Josh, if you if you get Josh Downs back, you're not going to get worse. <laughs> but you're chemistry is a thing, right? Chemistry is a thing, but I think it. 
I think it matters less with a quarterback like Drake May than with a lot of quarterbacks because Drake has been – I mean, look. Look what happened when, okay, Pesor goes to the sideline and now you've got, you know, somebody else in that, in that same spot. Do you notice any difference? I mean, from, from the perspective of the quarterback, he just still puts it right there and puts it on the money. The difference is that maybe Pesor makes a, a little bit bigger play or makes a little more space than, you know, the next guy. Uh, so, I mean, I think – I think the the bigger question would have been, you know, well, with Josh Downs out, should we expect the offense to, you know, take a step back? That's where you really kind of expect that <laughs> that to happen. And then you add in the better player, and, and I don't expect that to, to be the case at all. Now, it may happen. The Notre Dame may break the rhythm of the offense. They may, they're going to have something to say about that. Um, but I'm not worried about if you add two better wide receivers there. Um, I do think – the all the shuffling at running back, you know, when you add another body in there that's coming in at running back, if you're playing four running backs over the course of a game, I do think that can impact rhythm a little bit. Uh, so, you know, Caleb Hood coming back, I think Hood is one of their best backs, so you you want him back. But I do think they're going to have to be careful to make sure that they know that how they're handling who's on the field and who gets what carries and all of that to ensure that that stays in rhythm. Because I do think running back can be a bit of a rhythm position though, though, you know, everybody shares carries at this point, guys do need to touch it a little bit and, and get a, get a feel for how the front is playing and all of that. So I'm not worried about that at all though. I, I think when you have a quarterback who is like Drake may and who plays the game like him, rhythm is basically more about, uh, about what he does and about give, getting him, making sure he's got good protection. And so I think actually having Spencer Rowland is the most important thing for the rhythm of the offense coming into this game. If, if you've got him healthy and you have your original starting five on the offensive line, I think that does more for maintaining the rhythm of the offense than anything that's happening out wide. It's an interesting take. And I, and I love your point about running back being more of a rhythm position than wide receiver. And Drake May's going to throw it to the open guy. I mean, the only the only noticeable difference is what number is the open guy wearing. And maybe and, what uh, he does after the catch. Josh Downs might do some things after the catch that other guys can't. Yeah, and I agree with that, and somebody mentioned it on the thing. All right, Greg, I'm going to come to you with this question. And, again, we're going to get into more about what will happen in this game after the break. Uh, but Bull Hill, he is a, quite the pessimist. He might assume my role as the pessimist. That's no disrespect. 12 and 0 Tommy? 12 and 0 Tommy. Bull Hill, there is no tangible reason to believe this defense will be any good at all. Greg Barnes, take that one. So there is. Uh, there is a lot of athletic talent on this defense. Uh, we could have a long discussion about recruiting rankings, but at the end of the day, the teams with the best recruits and the best recruiting classes float to the top. And that's just what that's what the information has told us year after year after year. Um, and you look at North Carolina, as Mac Brown likes to say, they look good getting off the bus. And that is true. I mean, Desmond Evans looks like uh, a freak. I mean, like a, a version of Javon Curse, you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, whatever it was. Uh, but what you have is a lot of potential. And you have a lot of guys uh, that are trying to become football players. And so there's a gap. 
And that's what the coaching staff's job is to do. And we talked about this last week. Gene Chizik you know, has had roughly, what, 50, 60 practices. Um, sounds like a lot. Really not that much. I mean, when you, when you talk about some of Notre Dame's guys, especially in the trenches, uh, I mean, those coaches have, have worked with those guys for year after year after year. And while the same holds true with, with Tim Cross and Dre Bly and Tommy Thigpen, which we had that conversation last week, for Gene and Charlton Warren to kind of install what they want, it's going to take time. It's going to take some mishaps. It's going to take some games. And so I do think those guys will come along. And that's the reason I think there's potential there. But the other thing is uh, you've got to be bad. You've got to have a bad <laughs> afternoon to have the fourth quarter that Carolina did against App. And that skews the numbers a little bit. Um, they weren't great against A&M, nor were they great against Georgia State. We know that. Uh, but they got some good pieces. I and mean, I think Noah Taylor is a good player. Miles Murphy is a good player. Ray Vahasek has proven to be you know, the, the best graded out uh, defensive lineman Carolina has, and he's done it before. So there's enough talent on this defense to give me hope and should be able to give everybody hope that they can make significant strides. Does that mean that this is going to be the top 25, 25 defense that fans hope for? I don't think this defense is getting there by the end of the year, maybe next year. But there's no reason for this defense to be outside the top 100. There's really no reason for this defense to be outside the top 75. And they're right now 109th in the F, in the FEI. Yeah. That's um, not good. And honestly, <laughs> the, the the concerning thing about, about uh, for for this from my perspective, and I, I agree with everything you said, Greg. I mean, they've got a lot of talent on this defense. I would venture to say that in terms of player for player, all but maybe four teams in the ACC would trade straight up with, for what Carolina's got on their defense. And that might be rich. Might be three. So there's definitely talent. I see in the, you know, in the, in the uh, <laughs> I see bowl heel. Is the talent really there? The corners? Really? Um, yeah, yeah, those guys are talented. The, the talent is there. The concern for me is it's not like Chiswick came in and installed an entirely new defense that these guys needed to learn and everything else. They're running the same schemes that they ran under Jay Bateman, which is essentially the same schemes everybody's running everywhere in the country right now because it's what you have to run against modern offenses. I mean, they're running a lot of cover. I mean, when I went back and I watched the Georgia State game, I actually, you know, I expected kind of going in to see a lot of cover two like usual, and it, I didn't see actually that much of it. It was mostly cover uh, cover seven, which is a man-match version of cover four of quarters, and that was Jay Bateman's, you know, one of his primary base – that was the base coverage that he taught. And then, you know, some, uh, some, some Rip Liz, which is, the you know, a man-match version of, of cover three, which was what – Bateman called the most. So they're running a lot of the same stuff that they ran last year and should be able to, you know, it's not like they're having to learn whole new techniques and everything else. They had to learn new, new terminology and everything. I mean, to some degree, but I mean, at a certain point, you, you've just got to go and do it. The problem that I see is that neither last year nor this year ha have we seen consistent execution that is requisite with the talent on the field. And that hasn't changed, and that's the concern. And so I actually get the thing where it says I, we, we're not seeing any 
there's no evidence that this defense is going to be any good this year because so far they haven't really shown that they are going to be any good because we're not seeing the attention to detail and the communication and the consistent nastiness that you need to have across the board for defenses to really be good. So I, I, there's, there is some sort of disconnect and there still is some sort of disconnect. And this is what Gene Chizik and Charlton Warren were, were brought in to fix is getting everybody bought in enough to where they're going to, they're going to play. They're going to do the things that there's that, you know, the same coverages, the same, you know, basic calls and so on, that they're going to do those, do those correctly. And with a high level of energy and, you know, commit to doing their job at, you know, with, with accountability. And so far we haven't seen enough of that. And, you know, that's where, until I see it, I'm, I'm very much in a believe, you know, I'll believe it when I see it stage with, with this group of players, uh, you know, regardless of the level of physical talent, because the physical talent's there, but I'm not sure about the rest of it. And, you know, I, I don't see that we've really seen the, the level of buy-in yet that needs to happen. Maybe that happened over the bye week. I don't know. Tommy, here's, here's the frustrating thing, I think, for Carolina fans. Um, is, as Jason said, you bring in two guys that, that know the, the game and have a lot of experience at a high level to improve the defense, and they return a lot of good pieces. Well, Wake Forest had a very similar story last year. Great offense, bad defense. And so Dave Clawson did the same thing and went and hired his buddy uh, Brad Lambert from Purdue. And against They're comparable, not any better on defense. Well, against comparable schedules, uh, Wake has moved up in the defensive FEI. Now, they're not great, but they've moved up, I think, 25 spots. Uh, I think they're, they're top 40 now. Carolina has regressed and is now, as Jason said, under ninth after being 98th last year. Yikes. So at least Wake is, has made strides in the right direction, even though they have a long way to go. Uh, and, and Carolina has just not been able to find that traction. I, I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from, understandably so. Yeah, there's a disconnect, like Jason talked about, and, and you know they get paid a lot of money to figure it out. Jason, somebody asked, and I'm sorry, I can't put the question up because I can't find it. But uh, does does Travis Shaw? Uh, do you think that his uh, abilities can make a difference in this ball game? Is, is he at the position where he can make a difference in, in this Notre Dame game? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, we got a bunch of I don't know and maybes. I need some definitive <laughs> answers. That's why I pay for Inside Carolina. <laughs> when I've got definitive answers, folks know I will go out on a limb and give you definitive answers. I gave definitive answers about Drake May in the preseason. That was nobody one I was pretty sure about, right? Nobody and, believed you. Yeah, so. and nobody was, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, better than Sam Howell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so this one is one that, you know, we've seen flashes already from, from Shaw. Uh, there, there were some things, there were some good things he did against Georgia state that kind of popped off the, off the screen where you saw him compress the pocket. You saw him take control of the offensive lineman across from him and getting his hands inside and just, you know, bowling the guy into the backfield. So just that level of physicality and power, yeah, you know, I think he can have an impact. The question is for how long? You know, I think I think he's probably a 15 to 20 snap guy right now. 
uh, where you get him on the field for, you know, certain situations that call for his uh, specific, very specific set of skills uh, that you can then use. So, you know, in short yardage, in goal line, uh, in certain uh, neutral down situations, I think he's most efficient and most effective right now. Put him on the field for some of those situations where you just want him to bully, especially I'd line him up over the center because it really it's a pain in the butt for centers to, to be lined up against those really big guys that can get up under him real quick and, and push him back. I'd want him to do that um, and, and try to try to cause some problems for the center at different points. Maybe you get maybe you force a bad snap or two. Uh, you know, that's the sort of thing you can do. So I think he can have a decent impact. Uh I think we're still so young in his career that expecting to him to have to be a game changer is, I think, just too much right now. I, I don't think he's he's still got a lot of freshman baby fat on him and he's, you know, conditioning wise still he's still a freshman. He's still a puppy. And you see that when he's out there, the 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 talent just oozes off of him when you see him on, on the field. I mean, he's. I think he's, you know, basically a full year. Well, I, I don't think Marvin Austin had anywhere near this level, of, the level of ceiling that Shaw does. But, you know, he looks better now than Austin did as a freshman by a good sight, in my opinion. But, um, you know, it's just a matter of, of getting him to where he's consistent and where he's not going to hurt you with, you know, conditioning in certain cases and also not always uh, having a full grasp of, you know, what, what gap responsibility is if this guy pulls or if this guy steps this way, those sorts of things, the stuff that you have to, to get used to in tight there. And those things happen really fast, close to the football. So I think he can have impact, but you have to monitor when you use him and how you use him to make sure that he has the maximum positive impact for your team. Yeah, Tommy, Jason's exactly right. But I think people see that glimpse of potential elite play. Oh man. And it's intoxicating. It, it, Carolina fans know. I mean, if you go back to you know, 2009, Robert Quinn, they had a lot of good players on that defense. Robert Quinn was a freak and having <laughs> one great player up front changes the defense dramatically. Kareem Martin played that role in 2013. Jermaine Johnson, FSU last year, Aiden Hutchinson at Michigan last year. Uh, just one disruptive player up front changes everything. Um, and while Shaw is not there, he will be. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought he looked good when he went in against Georgia state. He looked better than I expected against Georgia state. I, I yeah. was really pleased with what I saw from him. I don't want to go down. Go ahead, Greg. I, I, if, you, if you get 15, 20 snaps out of him, then that's where I was going. I don't, I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole totally, but Jason and Greg too, how many snaps should Carolina fans ideally expect for a guy like that um, when he is fully in, like whatever, as a sophomore or he's lost the baby fat and all? Ideally for a guy that size, a man that size, is it 40? Is it 45? I'd say 45 to 50. Um, actually, I'm going to do a quick – I'm going to look up something real quick, and I will report back because the comp for him, I think, played at Clemson. And – uh, in terms of what I'm seeing, I think he's very similar in a lot of ways to Dexter Lawrence. And I want to look at Dexter Lawrence's snaps when he was at his peak, because I think that kind of gives you sort of where you can expect down the line. I think he might actually have a little more upside 
as a, against the run than Lawrence did. I think Lawrence is a little quicker, uh, but you know, he's that kind of difference maker inside. While you're looking that one up, uh, I'll come to you, Greg. Um, and then we're going to stay on the defense and, do you anticipate – this was the confusing thing. We discussed this, and I think Jason mentioned it um, on the day after podcast. Is if, if you're going to play press coverage, why are you not getting your hands on the receivers? It's like, what's the point? Uh, can we expect anything significantly different? I know Chiswick talked about some tweaks and this and that. Um, looking from our vantage point, do you expect to see anything significantly different um, or, or significantly altering the outcome and the approach in this game that maybe we hadn't seen in the first three weeks? No, no I think looking at it from an untrained eye, um, I think a lot of fans would probably agree with me, but if your guys in the secondary are struggling to cover and you're only rushing four and not getting there a lot, something has to change, right? <laughs> Or else you're you're doing the exact same thing over and over again. Um, Chiswick hasn't shown a, a tendency to want to blitz an awful lot. Um, you're dating back to his, his last time in, in Chapel Hill. So I, I think he look. Gene Gene knows the game, and he understands very well that if you can get pressure with your front four, that makes everything else so much easier. But after three games there's got to be enough data there to say, okay, we're not getting home as often as we like. You know, Cayman Rucker is doing a pretty good job. Evans has been okay. Uh, Noah Taylor has been okay. But there has to be more of a push. There has to be more of a challenge up front. Um, and so that's, that's the conversation they're having is, is what can we tweak just a little bit? Because look, he, he's told us that he's going to follow a similar game plan, format, if you will, to what he did the first time. It took them three years from 2015 to 2017 to get that entire defense in. And as we've talked about, late in 2015, when they finally faced really good offenses in Clemson and Baylor, there was not enough in for them to do some of the counters that they needed to. And Larry Fedora was open about that after the season in off-the-record meetings. like, it's kind of like you, you draw in plays up in the dirt just because you didn't have enough in. Um, I think there's enough talent on this defense where they probably are, are further ahead than that because they, they, you know, they were limited back in 2015. Um, so there's that component of it. But it's also a matter of you know, when you're talking about Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame didn't show a, a tendency to want to throw the ball deep. They were content last week to really try to run the ball control the line of scrimmage, give Drew Pine some, some easy passes, make use of their tight end. Um, I don't think that game plan, as, as conservative as it was for Tommy Reese, will work on Saturday because of Carolina's offense. Uh, but those are the things you have to factor in of, okay, if Notre Dame's going to be conservative in how they play and really try to run the ball, you know, how much are you worried with switching things up on the back end when the main focus has got to be limiting what Notre Dame can do running the ball? They haven't been great at that, but that's their strength, and that's how you take pressure off of Drew Pine um, is, is being able to run the ball effectively. So I, I think that's got to be goal number one in these other things that are going to be very important in the weeks to come 
or maybe a little bit on the back burner. Hey, you, you almost got us to segue to after the break, but Jason, I'm going to ask you another one of the questions that's in this uh, chat before we so take a break. I'm, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the numbers real quick on Dexter Lawrence. So t- right. take it back real quick. Dexter Lawrence averaged 41 snaps a game as a freshman, 41, 41.7. Uh, he had 626 snaps in 15 games. That's not including, you know, uh, field goal block, that sort of thing. But uh, defensive defensive snaps, 41 as a freshman, and then he he was basically anywhere from uh, 28 snaps to a high of I think 61 or 64 over his career. So somewhere in the 40s is 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 pretty optimistic. If you're a really good team and have some D-line depth, you want somewhere around 40 to 45. I remember discussing it, and I don't go back in this again, but I remember, Greg, you and I discussed it, and Strobridge and Crawford had played double the snaps that any one Clemson defensive lineman had yep. played. They averaged 64 that year. Oh, yeah, it, 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 was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> they were at like a million snaps, and those dudes were still at like, couple hundred it's fascinating to see but yeah so, i agree shaw needs to be out there um 40. he's not quite he's not quite where lawrence was as a freshman i think that's around you know he could be that become that kind of player i don't think he's as good as lawrence was as a freshman which is why lawrence played more snaps initially but you had a specific place you wanted to go before yeah we let me ask break. you this question so you and i talked on the day after pod with with uh buck i guess has been 10 days or so ago and I mentioned it just a few seconds ago about the press coverage but not getting any hands on receivers and I think your exact quote and I'm paraphrasing your exact quote <laughs> was what's the point okay so Ben Williams asked well I would like Doc's thoughts on why press coverage never starts with our secondary jamming the receivers at the line is it coaching lack of desire etc etc they're You've doing what their coach to do so press and free release. Yep. They're doing what they're coached to do. Now, I will say it's generally not a free release that we're seeing. Now, there are cases where it's turning into a free release because they get beat to their leverage. Essentially, what's normally going on with the press when they're actually still in press and they don't get their hands on a guy is they're, they're keeping leverage to one side or another. So you press on the line of scrimmage and you're to the you're to the inside let's say if you're playing man most man coverages demand inside leverage which means you don't want that receiver to cross your face you'll give him a release to the outside and then you'll run with him that's you know your typical coverage um so what's happening as far as i can see it is most of the time if if teams are not really challenging the leverage. So you got inside leverage in that case, or sometimes if you have robber, you're playing outside leverage, it can change it. Whatever the leverage is, basically, if the guy, if the receiver it wants to release to where the, where the defensive back doesn't have re- leverage, he's just mirroring and turning and running with the guy. Now that is a technique. I mean, that's a commonly used technique in, in pass coverage. And you see more of it in, in, at the NFL level, uh, because at the NFL level, you're not allowed to put your hands on a guy all the way down the field. Now, in college, there's no five-yard zone. So, you, you know, to me, the, the, the benefit of getting your hands on a guy early and keeping him on the guy is, is pretty high, especially since the pass interference rules in, in college are, are, you know, not nearly as draconian as in the NFL where it's spot. 
but uh, what it looks like to me is for the most part, they're letting them take the release as long as they're not taking it to their leverage side. Now it's really bad when you see them cross over and, and beat a guy to his leverage side. And that's happened a few times and that's led to some big plays where the corner let him cross his face, you know, as a, a you know decent release move by the receiver corner lets him cross his face and doesn't get a hand on him. That's really, really bad for a defense when that happens. Uh, but what it's what what's probably happening here, and this is just speculation for me, you know, thinking about how about the why you would coach it this way, is there are a few things. One is you never want your defensive backs to lunge, and when you're trying to get your hands on guys, a lot of guys can get you know kind of over eager to get their hands on a guy, and then you lunge, and then it's really worst case scenario because then the guy is able to uh, to kind of pull you out of position and, and get upfield. I think what they're doing is they're basically playing a mirror technique and trying to just run. They're relying on the, on their, on their speed and they're basically coached. Okay. Force them to take the release that you want and then just stay on their hip. That can be fine, but you bet you'd really better have a really have great footwork coming out of that mirror and you'd better stay on their hip coming up the field. And they've not done a great job with that. Uh, so, you know, my preference in general, just, I mean, as a former receiver, this also is part of the reason for that. My preference in general, and the thing that's more frustrating for receivers to play against is a guy who does a great job mirroring and then uses his length to kind of get his hand on you and kind of irritate you a little bit as you're, as you're taking the release that he's allowing you to have. Uh, and I think they need to do a better job of closing space once a guy takes that release and, and does his thing. But I think they're just kind of playing conservative here at the line of scrimmage, which is if he wants to take that release, you let him take it. What you can't do is let him start taking that release and then go to get your hands on him, lunge, squirt, and then he squirts to the inside and we're, we're really screwed. So I think that's a lot of what that's about. They're also playing a lot of bail, which is where you line up on the line of scrimmage and then at the snap of the ball or right before the snap of the ball, you bail out and you're actually playing off coverage. You're just disguising it by lining up on the line of scrimmage initially. And they're playing a lot of bail coverage, which then the goal of that is to play over the top and not let the receiver release, not, not let him pass you. Uh, Cause you're usually playing a, a, a deep zone when you're in bail. So they're playing a lot of that too. And again, I'm not a big fan of bail. Um, I think, you know, if you're going to play off a lot of times, it's best to just line up off, especially if a guy has enough speed that, if you're in bail, he might be able to get on top of you and, and get over the top a little easier. But that's just kind of what they're doing. Um, I'm not a big fan of it, but it is what Chiswick has done a lot of the places that he's been. And it seems to be just basic philosophy. It's different from the philosophy the last few years. I mean, Jay Bateman was big on receivers should get their hands on on the guy as much as they can and press, you know, press where you can. Now, there were some, you know, discussions about that sort of thing but Bateman wanted press pretty much all the time just because of what it communicated to the safeties uh if if, if you press a guy he has to declare where he's going and, and it can slow him down a little bit and can make the safety's job a little bit easier but there are different philosophical approaches to this and different fundamental techniques for it and Carolina's taking taking one particular angle on that yeah Tommy to to add a little bit to that in watching I spent some time watching Charlton Warren and Andre Blah coach the the corners during camp 
Um, and, and one thing, and this kind of builds on what, what Jason said, one thing that they, they really stress to their guys is that when the wide receiver comes off the line uh, and kind of extends his arm there at the line of scrimmage, what they're taught to do is basically kind of a swim move mm-hmm. with their strong arm. And then as soon as they knock the receiver's arm down, not they don't use their hand, but they use their forearm to maintain contact so that the wide receiver doesn't have that free release. So it's basically their push, they snap down, and then they stick that arm out with their forearm so they can kind of control the wide receiver and make sure, as Jason says, he doesn't get that free release. And that's actually the funny thing is uh, Mike Ingersoll, you'll probably remember this, Greg, Mike and I, back with the the late J.B. Sissel, went out and shot videos about press technique where we demonstrated all this stuff on the on on the uh, on the field that's back in the inside carolina archives somewhere from like what 2014 or 2015 (laughs) where we actually go through that specific technique which is really good default technique my complaint is that i haven't really seen it manifest on the field because i'm not seeing guys get their hands on the receipt so first of all they're not getting close enough to where the receiver is actually trying to get him off of them uh, because they're just mirroring and, you know, the receiver's just taking, just taking the direction outside of leverage and just going. And you're not getting the, you know, reaching for the receiver's arm, which you want to kind of pull back, you know, swim over, pull back, and then you get that, uh, get that forearm on him. And then you wall, you're trying to wall him is really what you're trying to do. And the beauty of using the forearm is that you don't get called for holding. Right. So you, you're able to control. It's, it's, it's basically – it's like what happened in the NBA after they outlawed hand checking. Everybody went to the forearm, right? And it's you're basically doing exactly that. You're you're trying to control the guy, you know, off the dribble or in this case, running the route with that forearm uh, and move him in the direction that you that you want. And really, you're trying to squeeze him to either the sideline or to where your coverage is. Uh, but I haven't seen a lot of that, and that 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 has been one of the things that about this defense so far this year has driven me crazy is you've got two really long corners, guys that have long arms that have shown the ability to press in the past. At least they showed the ability as freshmen. Each one showed the ability as a freshman who don't seem to be doing a whole lot of, uh, of it well at this point. And that, that's, that's really frustrating to watch. Mm, it is very interesting to watch. And the reasons why that's the case uh, may be interesting as well. Let's take a short break, talk about, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina, great friends of you if you're an Inside Carolina premium subscriber. Even if you're not, you can go to Johnny T-Shirt and you can get the great gear. they got jerseys, the NIL stuff. They've got uh, all the tailgating gear, home gating. Ross Martin's famous sweatshirt weather is coming. It's supposed to be really hot on Thursday, but cool this weekend. So go pick up some things from Johnny T-Shirt. Come out and see us in the bowls lot. There'll be some swag out there. Johnny T-shirts, always great friends. And that, and also 10% off if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. National guys will pay the bills on the audio. It is the game plan on a Wednesday night, about 10 till 10 on the East Coast. Who can stop it? Barnes and Staples. We'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. It's the Game Plan Podcast. You know, I, here, here's how it works for me. Every time we have a podcast, I'm really tired. And I'm like, God, we got to do this podcast. We got to get it done quick. Let's get in and let's get out. And it never seems to work that way because it's always interesting com, com, content when you guys are on here. And, and Staples, you explaining all the, the different techniques and all there. But let's talk about Notre Dame specifically. Greg Barnes, here's my belief. Uh, Notre Dame's just going to line up and run it. They're going to double tight in it, and they're going to run it. And then they're going to play action. It. And it's going to remind us of Georgia Tech back in the day without all the, you know, default starts that weren't called. They're just going to line up and do that. Your thoughts on their plan against this Carolina defense, and they're going to play hide the football, I think, from Drake May in the offense. I don't think there's any question Tommy Reese would, would love to be able to just line it up and, and pound the ball down UNC's throat. Um, unfortunately for Notre Dame, they haven't had a lot of success doing that so far this year. You know, the, the running game is expected to be a strength coming in. Uh, it really hasn't been. Now, if, if you happen to watch the California game, I thought the offensive line did a great job late in that game. It looked like California got a little bit tired. And Notre Dame really took control uh, for the majority of the fourth quarter, a little bit of the third, and really kind of um, exerted their will with with California's front. Um, but looking at the stats, I mean, Notre Dame's only averaging 3.3 yards per carry. And, yes, a lot of that's lopsided because of, uh, Ohio State limited them to, to 76 yards. But they only rushed for 130 against Marshall, 147 against Cal. So when you look at what Carolina has done and given up more than 200 yards to both App State and Georgia State, I don't think there's any question the Notre Dame staff would say, look, if we don't rush for at least 200 yards in this game, what are we doing? <laughs> um, and when you, when you have a, a tight end like, like Mayer, who's great, he's one of the best tight ends in the country, as, as Mac mentioned earlier this week, that's really a, a perfect uh, safety blanket for Drew Pine. But I think Pine getting a game under his belt as a starter was really key last week. Um, so I'm curious if Tommy will open things up a little bit and give him some more passing lanes. Because I do think Carolina is going to score some points. It's not going to be 51. But they're going to score enough where Notre Dame has to have some success offensively. And if they're just going to try to run the ball every single play, 
it's not going to work. So, yes, they have to be able to, to win the line of scrimmage offensively, run the ball effectively, but they're going to have to open it up a little bit with some shifts, some motions, uh, some play action, and use the passing game to their benefit. Now, I think that's the key. If you can run the ball effectively, everything else opens up. And that's Carolina's task is, is making sure they don't bludgeon you to death running the ball because if they do, it's going to be a long afternoon. Jason, your take here. Can this defensive line, uh, that has been gashed, and it's not just them. There, there's other parts of it. But, you know, the defensive line is going to have to be stout in this one. And, and to Greg's point, um, what Notre Dame did against Cal, they wore them down. That's exactly what they've done the past two years against Carolina is just by the fourth quarter – Texas A&M did the same thing in the Orange Bowl. Uh, and other teams have done it. They just wear Carolina's defensive front out. We've heard about the talent. We've heard about the rotation they want to do. How's Carolina going to defend Notre Dame Saturday? Well, I mean, the, the, the positive is that I think it's going to be more difficult to wear down Carolina's defensive front this year than it has been in prior years just because of the number of bodies that they can put out there. I mean, they can, they can put, you know, six, seven – defensive tackles out there and feel like they, you know, those guys can play. Uh, you know, when you've got Keyshawn Silver and, and you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, Shaw as, you know, backups that are playing, you know, maybe third in line at their spots, you got a guy that's a little bit gassed. Maybe the guy behind him is starting to get a little tired and you put those guys on. That's where, you know, you, you shouldn't be real tired. You are getting into some inexperience, but you're not going to be tired. So I don't think they'll wear down as easily this year up front. Uh, the problem is that I'm not sure how effective they'll be from snap one, and that's been the issue all year. You know, last couple of years, Carolina got worn down. This year, the concern has been that the defensive line hasn't created a whole lot of havoc from, you know, the first quarter on. So they're going to need – big games from the guys that should be putting big games up. They're going to need really quality play against the run from guys like, uh, you know, Rucker, who has been consistent all season from a guy, from a guy like Evans, who's played pretty well against the run this year. Uh, and from those defensive tackles, they're going to need it. Uh, I think this is a game where Chiswick is going to, is probably going to play less cover two because, I, I think with what we haven't talked about so far is Notre Dame is not on their starting quarterback. I mean, their starting quarterbacks out for the season mm-hmm. and Drew Pine, the, the backup is not as good. I mean, but uh, Buckner uh, was, he was really a dual threat type guy, similar in some ways to, to the guy that gave Carolina so much trouble two years ago. Uh, and then, you know, going out with a shoulder injury for the year that changed them. I mean, that's a team that was ahead of Ohio state at halftime. I mean, folks are, you know, are talking about, well, they got, they got beat by Marshall. You know, they struggled some with, with Cal. This is a, you know, one and two football team. This isn't a very good Notre Dame team. They went toe to toe with, with Ohio state for three quarters. So, and here's the thing you got to remember, you know, teams like Ohio state or Alabama playing them in an opener, (laughs) Ask Florida State how that went with, you know, Alabama in, in, in 2017. Ask Miami how that went, you know, against LSU, you know, a few years back. Ask 
you know, Virginia Tech or, you know, some of these teams about playing those, you know, opening games against one of the three or four most talented teams in the country that they've had all off season to, to, to get amped. And, you know, you're getting the full weight of that athleticism. Notre Dame just wore down against Ohio state. Ohio state just had more talent, but I thought they outcoached Ohio state. I thought they were, you know, competitive with Ohio state. And then I thought they wore down and I thought the next loss was a, was, was a bit of a hangover against, uh, against Marshall. But especially now, now that they don't have their quarterback, they're going to really try to protect him all the more with a lot of running game and with a lot of, of Michael Mayer and with a lot of, uh, of that. sort. And they don't have great receivers either. Uh, they're going to need to pound the football. So to me, if I'm, if I'm uh, Gene Chizik, I'm coming out and I'm trying to put together what do I feel like my, my best co- fairly conservative – on the back end so that I'm not just giving up plays, but what, what, what do I, uh, where do my guys feel like they're most reliable in terms of fitting against the run? How can I make sure that I I'm given my defensive line the most support? And this is where I might, might expect more in this game of rip Liz, you know, kind of cover three type looks. We have a middle of the field closed uh, with the, with the single deep safety, and then you're dropping another safety in so that you're taking some of the decision-making out of the safety's hands and they know what they're going to be doing. And they're just matching underneath and dr- and trying to rally to the football in the running game. I think you see a lot of that, at least if I were coordinating, that's what you'd see a lot of here. I think one of the unintentional benefits of how Carolina played defensively the first three games is that Gene Chizik knows exactly what Tommy Reese is going to try to do with running the ball. <laughs> And he knows that what they've done thus far hasn't been enough. I mean, if they play like they have up front, then Notre Dame's is going to march up and down the field. And so that's kind of going to force his hand. And whether that's you know, doing what Jason's talking about or just just playing with an extra guy in the box or anything like that. I mean, Cal tried that late because they knew Notre Dame was going to try to run the ball. And Notre Dame was still effective. So that I think that that's an interesting dynamic of, at what point do you sell out to stop the run and let Drew Pine beat you? I think you have to do that in this game. And, and, and the one thing Pine has shown is he's willing to throw it to the other team. Yeah. So I think if you're going to win this game, you, you, have to, you have to make Drew Pine beat you. Make him beat you with some throws and see if maybe he's willing to be a little generous with that football. Slagle asked the question, Jason. Last point on the defense. Uh, we can talk about the back end. We can talk about the linebackers. I think Cedric Gray and Power Eccles are going to do what they do uh, in this game. But uh, is this a show-me game for this defensive line, Jason? Yes, 100%. I also think this is a game that is a money game for uh, for Cedric Gray in particular because uh, he can make himself a lot of money by how he shows out covering Michael Mayer because Mayer is a really – you know they, he's earned that nickname Baby Gronk and I think Cedric Gray is one of those one of those backers who actually can you know do a lot more in coverage against him than a lot of others. And you know Carolina may be able to use that ability uh, really to their advantage to help help their defense get some uh, you know get some matchups back by using him more as as a coverage guy against Mayer. So I'm curious to see how that goes. If I'm Cedric Gray, I'm absolutely treating this as an NFL audition to show that I can cover the best, you know, one of the two or three best tight ends in the country. 
Greg, Carolina's defense is successful on Saturday if? I, we can say this every week, right? But it's if they win on first or second down. I think that's <laughs> that's a big part of it because if you look at what Notre Dame has done on third down, uh, they're converting 26% of their third downs. And the crazy thing is it's not like they're in third and long every time either. And there are a lot of these are third and four, third and five, and they're just not getting it done. Uh, and again, you know, Ohio State skews that a little bit, but they've that's been a problem in all three games that they've had. And so I, I think if North Carolina can can hold serve on one of those first two downs, because Notre Dame is not an explosive play type team, you know, they're they're going to get theirs in four and five and six yard chunks. So you know, if you hold them to you know, one yard on on first down and five yards on second down, now you're in business. Now it's third and medium. Uh, and that's where Notre Dame has struggled. So I think that's the key component for North Carolina. Uh, it goes without saying, you know, if North Carolina gives up as many explosive plays as they have, which is seven per game, which is ridiculous, against this Notre Dame team, uh, forget that's it. 24, it, it. That's 2014 level bad at that point. Correct. Correct. Well, certain quarterback a week before his game against this Carolina defense was seven for 29 for a cent for a buck. And uh, he had a pretty good game. So it's possible. It's definitely possible. I, I think Carolina's defense, um, to the point about the defensive line being a show-me game, I think it's a show-me game for everybody. You know, we talk about how Notre Dame's stats are skewed by Ohio State. Well, Carolina's defensive stats are skewed by that fourth quarter, um, and you can't take them away. But I think Carolina's defense, and to, to a certain extent Gene Chizik and his coaching staff, uh, they got to be good in this one. Let's flip it over. We could talk about it all day. Go ahead, Greg. I know you got to get another word. No, I, I was just going to say, I, mean, I think this is one of those games because of the opponent and because of what they can do offensively just in terms of ground and pound. Um, and because this is the final non-conference game, so it doesn't affect the conference slate. I mean, this is a game where North Carolina could lose. And I think all three of us would say they looked a lot better. It's one of those kind of games where they can show us a lot and still lose, and that would that would go a long way into answering some of the questions that we have. It can go the other way, of course, as well. Um, but in terms of this being a show-me game, th there's a lot of opportunity to, to show that they've made strides and that they're better than what they've shown thus far. I, I would agree with that if Notre Dame was 3-0 or 2-1, uh, at least from a fan base perspective. If Carolina loses this game – which is going to bring me to the last point of the night that we'll talk about. We all three didn't even give Carolina a chance a month ago on this podcast. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the offense. First question, can the offensive line hold up? And this Brian Jones question. Can the offensive line hold up long enough to give May time to throw? Greg, talk about that coupled with the Barnes and Roland News and all that right side of that line. Um, some – some mix and matching going on out there. Uh, but the bottom line is, can they give May time against a pretty good Notre Dame defense? Well, let's take the latter point first. Uh, just having Roland back is huge because you know, Big Nell's only played, what, five guys against Georgia State? Um, and if you stick with just five guys against Notre Dame late, those guys are going to get tired. So having, having some options – uh, to rotate, especially on the edge, but also there at guard as well, 
it's very beneficial just to have an extra guy to throw in there, give your, your other guys some rests. Um, that makes a big difference in terms of how they hold up. Uh, you, in terms of Drake may having time to throw, look, you know, Sam Howell, uh, well, he's not responsible for all the sacks. All, I can't count that high time. I think 119, I think is what he had for three years. Um, he's responsible for a number of them because he, he, he liked to throw the vertical ball. And what Drake has shown us through three games is that he's willing to take the open receiver instead of trying to force the ball downfield at times. And if anything, I think fans would say that he probably hasn't taken deep shots enough, which is an interesting take. Uh, so I think because of that and his willingness to, to show that he can spread the ball around and get rid of it quickly, um, I, I think that bodes well for North Carolina's offense. Now, Notre Dame is stout up front. Foskey is a freak of an athlete who's going to get his. I mean, was he got three sacks already this year? Um, so they're going to have some success. But I think the offensive line, being the veteran group that they are, will be able to you know, hold up well enough when paired with Drake's ability to kind of get rid of it quickly, where he's not going to be on his back so much that it really limits what the offense can do. Jason, speak to the same question, but throw in Brian Evans's question. Do we see two more, uh, more two tight end sets to sort of help out? So for me, this question actually starts with can they, and this is my concern for the offensive side, is can Carolina run the football well against this defense? That, that to me is going to determine a lot. It's going to determine if they can't run the football, they're going to have more trouble protecting because that they're going to force – uh, a lot more long yardage situations. Carolina's going to be in, stuck in, in situations where they're going to be, uh, where, where they're going to know in advance that they're, uh, that they're throwing. So to me, this is a game where Phil Longo's got to really be careful to stay balanced. And they've got to find a way to run the football at least enough to keep that front honest. And that's going to require Carolina on the offensive line to handle North Carolina or to handle Notre Dame a little bit more in the running game. Uh, I think may will, will be able to sort of keep enough, you know, get rid of the football quickly enough to, to, you know, protect himself in this game, but really for this offense to have the success that they need, they need to be able to run the football enough to be able to set up some shots and if, if you can't run the football, you can't set those shots up and protect those shots. And that's that's really what I think is going to be the difference offensively. And that's the question mark. And to me, the the reason that's such a question is Carolina hasn't really run it well this year for the most part. I mean, they had they did finally kind of break through that a little bit in the Georgia State game late. Uh, and they had a little bit of success here and there against uh, against App. Uh, especially with Hood, you know, in the second half. So they've had a little bit here and there, but they've not run the ball consistently or as consistently as you'd like to see in the last two weeks. And that Notre Dame front is good. I mean, they, they, they gave Ohio State problems <laughs> in the running game. So, you know, that's the, that's the concern that I have because that bleeds over into your ability to protect. And moving to the second question, do, what does that do in terms of two and three uh, two and three tight end type sets? I do think you're going to see some two tight end type type things in this game, uh, partly because that 
allows you to do some things in terms of, of matchups in the running game and, and getting the matchups that you want in the passing game that, you know, you can, you can use those tight ends to chip a little bit. If you, if you, if you're not feeling real good about your, your protection, you can use, uh, you know, some of your ability to flex those guys out. I mean, obviously 18 is, is a really good, uh, is a good receiver in his own right. And when you have him on the field and you can use him as either a tight end or as a wide receiver, that kind of versatility is hard on defenses because how do they match up personnel wise? Do they want to match up big against your run or do they want to match up to cover him as a, as a receiver? So I expect that you'll see some, some more of that kind of thing where you'll see, especially packages with Nesbitt on the field with another, with another tight end. So I think you'll see a good bit of that in this game. Um, some of that might depend a little bit on how, how healthy green is though. If they feel real, real comfortable with green, then, you know, he, he's, they're going to want him to be on the field more. So that may limit that a little bit, but I think if I'm coordinating, I'm going to use some of those two tight sets with Nesbitt just because of the, of the formational flexibility personnel wise that it gives me. Yeah. And the other part of that too, is if you look at North Carolina's uh, pass blocking numbers in PFF, they are not good for the running backs. Uh, DJ Jones and Amarian Hampton, uh, Caleb Hood, uh, very low numbers. And so how do you offset that? If you bring in an extra tight end, that gives you an extra blocker to kind of help. So that's, uh, I think, I agree with what Jason said there, and that, that's another reason why. The synergy in this podcast, I was about to say, so the running back room, Greg, who, who and I know they play the hot hand and all that, but it, who is it? that gives them the best chance against Notre Dame, not only uh, getting yards on the ground, but pass catching and, and providing some pass pro. Is it DJ Jones? Is it a, is this a petaway game? We've seen Amarion have a couple hundred yard games. Caleb Hood had a 70 yard run. Uh, you know, who is it this game for Carolina? Cause I think protecting Drake may is, is big portion of it. Yeah. And petaway has got the best pass rush or pass block grade out of the running backs for whatever that's worth. Um, it's a good question, Tom. I mean, I, I really think that this is the kind of game, you know, if we talked about this 20 years ago, right? It's like, oh, yes, yeah, Caleb Hood and Amari Hampton. No question about it. Big physical guys aren't afraid to get hit. They can move the pile. Um, but with today's, today's style of offense, um, I think you need a blend. You need some quick hitters. You need Petaway to have a chance to, to break one um, because I think that's going to decide the game. If Carolina can hit on some of these explosive plays like they did, I guess, two years ago, that kind of kept them in the game. And that's, that may be what they need. And if you, know, you can hit on a couple of them and get a lead, well, that changes the dynamic quickly because Notre Dame all of a sudden is having to play from behind. Uh, so I don't know that there's one guy uh, that has really stood out to me as better than everybody else. They all have their, their talents. They all have their gifts. Um, and so that's why the hot hand thing comes in. But I imagine uh, Hampton's a guy that they like his physicality. That's important in a game like this. But everybody else has kind of shown they can do some things too. So um, it's – I don't know, Tommy. There, there's another – I don't know. I'm not sure which guy's going to be the, the key guy in this game other than the hot hand approach. Well, and shout out I, to Terrell Conley. He says it's George Petaway today. Yeah, I, I think I think Petaway is probably the most likely in this for a couple reasons. And one is that that's a pretty quick Notre Dame defense. And uh, 
Hampton so far has, to my eye, been a little has been a little slow in his uh, in his vision. So far, there have been some times where he's not he's 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 still feeling out the speed of the college game as a running back. Uh, and this is a front you're going to have to have a guy that's going to run really decisively. Uh, I don't know if that's hood. Maybe um, I think you're going to have to give these guys some carries early to figure out the hot hand. None of these guys has really stood out to me as special, special so far this year, which is something that I think they'd hoped would happen. But uh, I think, you know, if I had to bet on this, I'd, I'd bet on, on, uh, on Petaway of the young guys. And I think, I think we're going to, we're going to see the old head also get more, uh, more carries in this game than you'd expect because of his, you know, again, more reliability in the passing game there. Uh, and also both, you know, the, the guys that are better receivers out of the backfield, Petaway is the most natural receiver uh, of the young guys. So, that I I probably go with that as well. Uh, I I want to call attention to something though about Notre Dame's defense. So they they handled Ohio State's offense through about two and a half three quarters, but on the year in their two losses they gave up a total. So Ohio State had a couple big runs late, gave up four point nine one yards per carry to Ohio State and four point three eight yards per carry on fifty carries. So fifty carries for two hundred nineteen yards. Kalon LeBourne, actually, uh, a guy that North Carolina recruited pretty heavily years ago for Marshall, had, I think, 172 yards in that game. North Car- As North Carolina's run defense has gone, so has their record. They, they gave up 3.61 yards per carry against Cal and, and managed to, to win that game. I think if you want to identify one stat in this game, one thing to look for that I think determines this game as much as anything else, it's going to be can Carolina run the football with any consistency because you see that that those numbers up there and I think that that tells you a lot about where Notre Dame's strengths are. That's an interesting take because I've always said, uh, at least in the last couple of weeks going into this one, that I thought it was going to be a Drake May game to win because I did not think Carolina would be able to run it effectively uh, against Notre Dame, especially early. Um, you know, I think to y'all's point on Hampton, I, I think it's a great one. He He's still catching up to the speed and the physicality of the college game. I mean, he ran through tackles his entire life. I mean, he's done it a couple times in college, but, you know, it, it's big boy football, but he's going to be really good. But I think Petaway is the guy in this game. And I think DJ Jones, you mentioned the old head. I think DJ Jones makes a play that's important. So let's, let's get out wide and talk about, uh, Greg, talk about Josh Downs' return if he's in fact out there, and Antoine Green's out there, and somebody said it. Um, we talked about it last week too. Kobe Pesor and, and Downs on the field at the same time. I mean, I think this is where Carolina has some advantages, and I think this is maybe a game that uh, will play benefit or be a benefit for Downs being out the last two. Other guys not named Downs have stepped up. I think they're going to be effective in this game. Where do you see the wide receiver core, and who who stands out? And we'll go not name Josh Downs. Yeah, well, I think this – and Jason touched on this earlier, but I really think this is an interesting game for us as media and fans to watch how Lonnie Galloway rotates his guys, although I don't think it really matters to Drake May. I don't think it matters to Phil Longo. But just seeing how the, the reps are split. I mean, do you, do you go back to the whole way of – you know, it's, it's Josh Downs and Antoine Green on the field the entire game. 
or is there enough trust now with Blackwell and Pacer uh, playing as well they have to say, okay, well, we're going to give them you know, plenty of snaps here. Um, the other part of it too, Josh Downs, as we've talked about, learned every wide receiver position this offseason. And the reason why is, is because teams figured out kind of how to defend him last year. They bracketed him um, and really limited his, his yards after catch late in the year. And so they're trying to get away from that. And what that does is that allows you to put him at outside wide receiver and bring in Paysort at inside since he's played well in the last three games. So a lot of different things you can do. And then you add in the fact that uh, really the, the top three uh, receivers in terms of grade have been the three tight ends. So Phil Longo has a lot of different things to, to utilize. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about Bryson Nesbitt kind of being the young hotshot uh, in the offseason. And the kid has a lot of potential. But Kamari Morales is, is a stud at tight ends, one of the best tight ends in the ACC. Uh, and so I think there are options. And as, as we've talked about, Drake May likes to spread the ball around. He's done a good job with that through all three games. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think Carolina has an advantage here. And this was where it really comes back to uh, what Jason's point was earlier, is that if North Carolina has some semblance of a running game, that's going to give Notre Dame just a little bit of hesitation which will give Drake May and that offensive line a lot more time to work and make it a lot easier to move the ball down the field. But we've, we've known for a long time that what makes Josh Downs special is his ability to get yards after catch and to create separation. Uh, and you know, Pesor, as good as he's been, uh, he's not been at that level. And Josh Downs is one of the top five wide receivers in the country for a reason. So I think he'll have a big game, but a lot of other guys have the potential to have strong games as well. And the, the more the merrier as, as far as this offense goes. All right, let's get to it. It's 10-20 on the East Coast. <laughs> Shout out to the 270-plus uh, folks that have been. We'll call you guys the iron plan, the iron game plan folks. Jason, what happens? What happens on Saturday? 3.30 kickoff, uh, ABC, straight ABC, right? So national game. Um, for those that don't have cable, plug your antenna in. You get this one. Uh what happens, Jason? I'm eager to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be watching just like you, Will. Yeah, I'll be watching just like you. Um, this is a game where, I, I th- you know, you, you made the point earlier that none of us were real confident about this for Carolina coming into the season. We felt like this was, you know, uh, pretty, a pretty likely loss. I don't remember what the, the win probability I put on this was for Carolina, but it was probably something like, you know, 0.25 or 0.3. And I think that has climbed. I don't think this Notre Dame team is as good, especially with uh, uh, with Buckner not at quarterback, with Pine at quarterback. I don't think they're as good a, a, good a team. Uh, and I think Carolina offensively has shown the ability to score points. And this Notre Dame team has really struggled to score points. So that makes this a really interesting game. Uh, that said, I and and you know normally I default to the to the better quarterback if if all things are equal. That said, I I just cannot escape what's happened in the last few matchups between these two teams, where no, Notre Dame has ultimately been able to push Carolina around, and has been able to to have their way with North Carolina defensively, uh, that that in ways that are concerning knowing that Carolina's defense hasn't exactly looked improved so far this year. 
So I think this is going to be a close game. I think that this is a game that Carolina absolutely can win. It's getting close to a, to a coin flip, I think. Uh, you know, 55% chance, you know, uh, you know, it's like a 55-45 type game. But I'm still going to go with Notre Dame to win this game. Uh, I think it's it's one of those games where un- until I see Carolina actually stop somebody on the ground and and that defense actually start to get consistent stops, I just I'm not going to I'm not going to bet on them against a blue blood team that has shown the ability to win these kind of games the last few years. So I'm going to go with North Carolina. Uh, let's say. Third, North Carolina, 31, Notre Dame, 34. Jason sticks with his previous pers- uh, prediction. Greg, you're up. I agree with pretty much everything Jason said. However, <laughs> uh, Drake May is special. And Jason, as he said, uh, in a lot of these games, you just go with the better quarterback. Um, we know what this North Carolina defense has been. Um, I think Gene Chizik is a good coach. I, I think they're going to get better. I think Notre Dame not being good offensively is going to make the defense probably look better than it actually is. That's a conversation for another day. But I just think Drake May um, is going to have an is going to have a day. Uh, I think he's going to step up and and make enough plays to give Carolina an edge here. I think it'll be low scoring, uh, but I've got North Carolina winning this one, 28-24. Wow. Barnes has come around. You know, I need to do I need to have like a Lee Corso does with the with the, the helmet. Uh, yeah, I mean I've got maybe I can snatch one of those or something. You it know, just mean you'd end up picking North Carolina in every game. I know, it's just whichever helmet <laughs> whichever helmet really, you yeah. got in the back. And look and look, Tommy, somebody on the board asked about changing predictions for the year. Uh this game my pick wholeheartedly is more about Notre Dame than it is about Carolina. Uh, the offense, Carolina's offense is better than I expected. The defense is a lot worse. Um, so this game, as we've talked about, is, is more about Notre Dame playing with a backup quarterback uh, and not playing as well as they had hoped the last two weeks after a pretty solid game at the Horseshoe. Now, one last thing here in terms of my – I see some folks in the comments saying, oh, you know, Staples is picking history, not current, not, not current strength of teams. Again, when we go and we look at, at the quality of the teams, Notre Dame's offense is not, not real good. It's 48th in the FEI, which, as you mentioned, Greg, is useful this time of year because there's not a whole lot of projection built in there. I don't think there's any actual projection built in there. Okay. So they're 48th in offense this year and they're 16th in defense. So that defense has been pretty good and 48th on offense. North Carolina has been really good on offense. They're 17th on offense and then 109th on defense as we talked about. So you've got one, one side that's 48th and 16th and one side that's 17th and 109th. The team, you know, if we were just going to go on paper here between those two teams, you would expect the team that is a little higher when you average the two sides out to ultimately win the game. So it's not entirely just history. It really is more that I don't believe in this Carolina defense right now. I just don't. And until they show me that they can actually stop anybody, I'm going to continue to bet against them against teams that have a pulse. 
unless I'm confident that that, that that other team cannot stop North Carolina's offense, which is going to be quite a few teams in the ACC. You know, Carolina's going to score, you know, 45, 50 points against a, a, a number of the teams on their schedule in the ACC, but I don't think they'll score 50 points on this Notre Dame de- uh, defense. If they do, that's a great sign, but that's kind of the logic here. Tommy, that's, that's convincing. Can I change my pick? Uh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, – do you want to? No, he doesn't. I'm good. <laughs> I, I think in something we didn't talk about is special teams. And I think um, – I hope not simply because I don't know if the uh, collective psyche and the, the cardiac unit can handle it. Uh, I think Noah Burnett might play a role in this one too. I think uh, I think Drake May is going to have a game. And I think this is one of those games where either Drake May is in the top of the Heisman or way up the Heisman list, whatever they do on Monday, or um, he rebounds quickly back to earth. I think – I'm trying not to do this. I've done it before. I'm, uh, I'm not 12-0, Slagle. This was one of my losses. Uh, I think, Carol, I think 2008 repeats itself here. Um, in Keenan Stadium, and that remains one of my favorite games, if not my most favorite game in Keenan Stadium. But I think a big play late by a defense that is much maligned um, and has uh, probably been chewed up most of the night, to be honest with you, um, on Saturday. I think Carolina wins 33-31 to 31, um, on a Burnett kick that uh, – that, that brings the house down in Keenan Stadium. They got – it's one of those – it's a must win. I got to get it in. Oh, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. No, I mean – This if, is if not Carolina, a must win game. No, it is definitely not a must win, but I think they do get it done. And I think it's going to come on the back of some defensive play. Somebody finally puts their foot in the ground and says – Notre Dame's averaging 18 points a game. So, if Carolina allows 31 – I will take the over right That'll now. That'll be yet another bad defensive performance. It does not matter unless – as long as the scoreboard – it can say 63-61 or 3-2 to two, as long as it's uh, – I'm going Carolina 33-31. So, we all switched except for you, Jason. Well, two I, of the three switched. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going uh, to be a victim of the moment. I really hope I'm eating some <laughs> – I really hope I'm eating some crow on – you know, Saturday evening and, and for our day after podcast on Sunday. I'm hoping I'm eating crow, but because that would mean that the defense actually showed me something that, that you know, is encouraging. But like I said, I'm not willing to – I'm not going out on that limb until they show me. They're going to have to show me. Show me staples. Change it from Dr. Strange Love to show me staples, as Slagle said. <laughs> it's been on the beat – no, excuse me. It's been the game plan on Wednesday night. Shout out to the fans that have been in here uh, hanging out with us for a cool uh, hour and a half. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Heads up to folks watching this or listening to it later. Uh, come out to the Bowls lot, 1230 on Saturday. Joey Powell and myself will be with Inside Carolina Live. We'll have plenty of guests, a lot of swag out there, um, a lot of tailgating fun, and there's always somebody to look for look forward to seeing out there so you need to come out if you can get there Twelve thirty to 2 30 will be the show we'll be out there probably from 11 uh it should be a fun time in the bowls a beautiful day in chapel hill 3 30 abc carolina and notre dame greg barnes jason staples i'm your host tommy ashley 
Everybody be safe.